Welcome to the Step Up Your Business podcast. This is a weekly show brought to you by the Business Advisory Center Durham. In these episodes, we'll talk about everything to do with business, how to get started, how to grow your business, you'd meet some of our clients that we work with, and upcoming events that are going on in our region. We'd love you to join us every week and hopefully take away something that you can implement into your business. Even though we are in the Durham region, a lot of the business advice and information is applicable to all businesses. Thank you and stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Today I have Kevin Smith from the Story Architect with me. Kevin, welcome. Good morning or good afternoon or good evening, whenever you're listening. That's a wonderful way to put it. So uh, we're going to talk to Kevin today. I've worked with Kevin for quite a long time. I first met him through, I think it was the Ajax Pickering Board of Trade that I met you and um, and then run into him quite often. We run into different entrepreneurship ecosystem events and uh, have seen Kevin around at those kinds of events and love what he offers. And Kevin, I'd love you to tell people a little bit more about you. I'd love you to start with the name of your business, The Story Architect. Where does that come from? Yeah, that was, uh, it was accidental. So I started my business uh, now about five years ago. And uh, when I started at that point, uh, it was called Impact Assured Business Services. And the reason for that is because I initially thought that I was going to be primarily working with social enterprises and impact uh, as a word has a pretty strong meaning to that community. And uh, at the time, I didn't want to be called president. So I just kind of came up with this, you know, almost off the top of my head, my, my title will be chief story architect. And then I'd go to events and I'd meet people and I'd tell them what my company name is. And it some of them would be, would be a little confused and they'd say, well, are you insurance or, you know, what is it you're doing? And I'm like, no, 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 it's marketing. But when I'd hand up my business card, they would look at it and they'd go, oh, she's story architect. Oh my God, that's so cool. And uh, I realized, well, wait a minute, that's really resonating. I'm going to run an experiment and I'm going to create some new business cards and I'm just going to call, you know, company the story architect. And you know, it was just wildly successful. People loved kind of, they just loved the idea of that concept. And for most people, they kind of got, you know, from the title right away, what I did, or it was unique enough that it opened up the door for a conversation. That's yeah. very true. And that's what you really want. You want people to go, oh, this is interesting. Tell me more. Exactly. Really the goal of sales or marketing or anything like that. What I love about your name, to me, it signifies architect, meaning building foundational blocks. You're building the foundation of the story that you're going to tell people if you want to sell, right? Exactly. So a lot of your work is working with startups and small businesses to help them unleash their story. What's the process you go through to do that? Uh, so we build what we call a, a story blueprint. Okay. Yeah. So uh, typically we'll, you know, and I can kind of, work through an example of a customer I'm working with right now yeah uh, yeah without going into too much detail because uh, you know we haven't finished their work yet uh, this is a company that has kind of like an augmented reality headset device that is being used in let's say industrial purposes and you know they're really good about their technology like they know exactly what they're building they spent a long time building this product and the challenge they have is trying to explain that to 
a target audience that doesn't necessarily know what augmented reality is and why they would use it. And right. So I'll spend some time working with the founders to, you know, understand who they think their customer is, what they're, you know, what pain points they're solving, how they think they're solving it. And then I go and talk to customers. So we've actually been spending quite a bit of time talking to kind of municipal field workers and construction engineers to really understand, like, tell me what your day to day, tell me like what challenges you have, how is that hard, you know, what problems can we specifically solve? And I'm trying to put these two kind of forces together to really understand you know, where's the customer going to really pay attention when they hear a message. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and, and it really comes down to, I'm trying to find that, that moment where our brains really want to pick up on something. Right, and when you really see like an aha, this is going to solve a problem for us. Yeah, um, I end up doing some work with different organizations and I'll say, you know, I'm going to teach you a little bit about how the brain works. And we end up doing this little, I do this little bit where I'm like, hey, have you ever purchased a car before? What kind of car did you purchase? And, you know, inevitably somebody will say, well, I bought a, a, you know, a Mazda. And I'll say, uh, when you bought the Mazda, did you notice all of a sudden that there were more Mazdas on the road? And they go, oh my God, yeah, that, that's exactly what happened. And uh, it's something called the Beter-Meinhof effect. It, uh, or your brain uses 20% of your daily caloric intake. You know, it's, right. it's only like 3% of your body mass, but it uses a lot of energy. And it's actually trying to conserve how much energy it uses. And it does that by limiting what it pays attention to. So the brain only wants to pay attention to things that are either problems that it's trying to solve or solutions that it's, that it's looking for. And so when you go and buy a car, you get this, you know, it's this pretty complex buying decision. You get to this point of saying, okay, the Mazda, this is the solution I'm looking for. And then it's like pop, Mazda's everywhere. Especially the one you, you bought, right? The same color. Especially the one you bought, the same color, like you notice it. And, but they were always there. It's just your brain had filtered them out. Right. Uh, I think that's used, um, they, it's a term called reticular activating system in your brain. And no, no, that term I haven't heard. <laughs> You'll have to look it up. But I think they, it's probably very similar where you've, you buy something, you make a decision to do something, and then you see it everywhere. Or you, it just it puts the memories together or something like that. I mean, I don't know enough about it, but, you know. Yeah. Very, so I love the idea of the story blueprint that you use. I like the idea that you call it a blueprint. What made you decide to do that? Uh, well, that had to be on a theme with the, once I really kind of got behind the theme of the story architect, you know, then I wanted to make sure that some of the services I was offering kind of fit in with that theme. Like and that. blueprint really seemed to fit well. Yeah, and it's one of these little things where you know, trying to find the time to explain to somebody the exact process and everything I do, you know, you need five to 10 minutes to kind of go through that. But you have to catch somebody's attention first. And the way to do that is with a, a good, you know, brand name. So a good brand name for a product, it does that same thing. It makes somebody go, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. That's it. That's what you always, that's, that's the goal of what we want, as I mentioned earlier, right? What is, what is attraction blueprint, if I may ask? So uh, we started working with customers on their story blueprint, you know, really trying to figure out what's the, what message is going to be ideal to capture somebody's attention and get them to spend more time engaging with you. 
and you know, inevitably we get the same question after we're done with our clients, like, hey, can you help us go to market with this? Can you help us build uh, a marketing plan? And so uh, the traction blueprint is really, uh, it's really the path to the customer. Right. Uh, one of the things we realized we were doing as we were interviewing customers, we weren't just learning what message was going to be effective. We were learning what channels to market and or what methods of buying would be the right way of, of engaging with them. You know, mm -hmm. so you kind of come back at the same time with saying, hey, this is the, for this customer, if you use Google ads in this particular way, you know, this is how you'll get traction. Right, right. We had one client that, you know, they had a, an exciting, you know, product category of uh, property tax, commercial property tax management. Mm. You know, very exciting. Very exciting. Um, but one of the things we learned when we actually talked to property tax managers was they weren't actively in a buying process to learn how to do things better. You know, they weren't going on Google looking for information. So running Google ads would have been a waste of, you know, a waste of time initially. They did open every letter that they got because if they missed a tax bill, you know, it would cost their organization $20,000, dollars $50,000. So we actually built a successful direct mail campaign to go after those buyers. You know, we kind of made the, the, the direct mail not look exactly like a tax bill, but look something like that, but it had a marketing message along with it. And then we followed that up with some phone calls. So right. you know, that's, we kind of learned, hey, this is probably the best way to get into this customer. Right, that's very, very cool. I know um, you've done a ton of workshops around story and marketing message and, and all that sort of stuff. What do you think makes the best, like if you had to tell our audience, like what, how do you craft a story that makes people say, that's interesting, tell me more. I know you've mentioned some of it, but maybe just walk us through that process. Yeah, I think the most important part of trying to craft something that uh, an audience is going to say, you know, that's interesting, tell me more, is uh, novelty. Mm. You know, it's, it's being able to surprise the audience somehow. Uh, there's a really good book called Why Things Go Viral. And one of the things that I learned from that uh, was this concept of social currency. Okay. We're, we're social creatures. You know, we evolved to live in small social communities and our survival depended on our status. Yeah. If we didn't have status, you know, we could eventually be ostracized and, you know, that could lead to death. Yeah. You know, so our brains you know, really want to keep us motivated to be part of a community. And so subconsciously, we constantly look for things that will improve social status. And one of the best ways of doing that is looking for novel or unique things and then sharing that with the community. Okay. If we were the person to, to figure out, hey, there's a tiger in the woods and we told our community that, you know, that would improve our status. You know, the same thing happens now. We look for you know, novelty and story. Right. And so that's what I always look for. I look for some kind of interesting hook or some kind of interesting way of spinning a story where people don't uh, expect something to come up. So I have a question asking about BACD. What could I create as a story that is novel for people that would say, oh, let me learn more? Because I find sometimes our story is long and it's hard to articulate in a sentence or two like what it is we really do to help you with your business. If we're just giving advice, what help are we giving you? Yeah, 
because I mean, you're in a very busy field. There's now there's, you know, fortunately, lots of organizations that are trying to help small businesses. So, you know, sometimes a, a unique way of, of creating a, you know, that kind of interesting story is just having a, a good customer example or case study. Yeah. That, that might be a way of drawing someone's attention initially, or it could be uh, building an analogy to some other field or something that, that somebody wouldn't expect. Right. You know, we're the, we're the guidance counselor for your business. Yeah. Yes. I've used that before and they've also used, I've heard people say, Oh, Oh, hip for business, which I thought was interesting. Cause that maybe I, I thought like, to me, if you say, Oh, hip for business, it's saying that there's something wrong with your business. And I think that's not really the story that I want to tell because I think two brains are better than one, two heads, two perspectives, like me, meeting with someone else to brainstorm, to be creative about your business is not that there's something wrong. It's just that I want to do better. I want to learn more. I want to keep growing. It could be something like a personal trainer for your business. Yeah. That might be a more positive association. There's a really good local example of a company that's done something like that. You know, they're not a client of mine. I'm actually a client of theirs and you know, they're, they're based in Ajax. It's a training organization called Train Like Heroes. And oh, I, I didn't know of them. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, I, I found them on uh, Instagram, you know, kind of seeing things. And it's just, it's a CrossFit gym. It has like, you know, obstacle course stuff and different types of free weights and different things like that. And I was kind of on the lookout for uh, a gym that had a bit more kind of that kind of, that kind of stuff. And I saw this and I'm like, hey, I love superhero movies. I really love the theme of this. And the, the guy who runs this has gone all out with the theme where you go to the gym, it's totally painted up with superheroes. Each weight section has a different superhero name. They have all kinds of like activities that are superhero based. So it, it, it's a really interesting and novel way of, of marketing the business. And I wish I had thought of it for someone else. So yeah, that to me is a, is a really good example. Right. Um, one of the things we use is a few years ago, we created all our customer personas. So then we use those personas to tell stories, you know, which I find has been very useful for sure. So tell me, I'm, I know that I'd love to know a little bit about your background to bring you to where you were today, like the different corporate experience and knowledge that you gained to, to say, hey, I'm ready to start my own business. Yeah. For that, we have to go all the way back to high school. <laughs> so um, I was, you know, I was at kid in high school that I think for the first few years, I wanted to be something different every year. Yeah. It was, you know, one year it was an auto mechanic. The next year it was a lawyer. You know, the year after it was an actor. And then I kind of got into this, you know, the, the idea of starting my own business. And, you know, that really appealed to me. You know, I think it was one of those things that stuck. But at that time, there wasn't a lot of help to learn how to start a business. So I had, yes. all, I had all these different ideas of different businesses that I could start but no real kind of framework or recipe of how to do it. You know, we had some entrepreneurship courses, but they, they didn't really fit the bill. Uh, I ended up going to Ryerson because they had an entrepreneurship and business management degree. Mm -hmm. And at that time they taught business courses. They didn't teach entrepreneurship. Right. So they kind of said, well, we have business courses and that's entrepreneurship, but that's not really, they tell you how to function in a business. They did not tell you how to start 
a business, which is right. a very different thing. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of came out of that not not quite prepared. Yeah, and then I got my first job, and then I got another job. I ended up falling into Dell almost accidentally. So I was doing some IT work. I was actually training myself to be a, a programmer and an admin person, and uh, a recruiter friend of mine said, hey, uh, Dell's going crazy for computer salespeople. It was Y2K. All the computers in the world were going to fail because programmers missed a couple of digits. Uh, everybody was prepping their basements you know, for the apocalypse. And I was like, well, I'll go sell computers. I didn't really want to go into sales at that point. So I was like, no, no I want to push myself into a more, bit more of a technical, right. a more of a technical path. Yeah. But I said, yeah, I'll do this for a couple of months until I find a real job. And when I got there, I actually fell in love with the idea of sales and technology. It was just, it was just such a perfect fit. And so I stayed, I started in consumer sales. I went into business sales, learned that there was a, a job called a, a technical sales rep where you'd basically just be selling server equipment. So I was like, Oh my God, that's the job for me. Uh, so I, Became a technical sales rep, did that for a number of years, and then kind of again, accidentally fell into marketing. Our server brand manager kind of quit. My boss at the time said, hey, can you kind of cover the activities of this while we look for you know, a, a marketing person? I said, sure. And six months later, they said, you know, would you like to keep doing this? We, we, really, you know, we really think you're doing a good job. And I said, yes, I'd love to keep doing this. Yeah, that was going to a lot of conferences, a lot of trade shows. Right. Uh, I was going to, you know, I was being pulled into CIO meetings to basically pitch our enterprise technology. And that's, you know, really where the, I would say that the genesis of my company started. 80% of my job is presenting. And I realized, wait a minute, I have to get better at this. And so I built a process for myself by you know, reviewing a bunch of presentation material and presentation books and kind of built a little bit of a template for myself of, hey, here's how I build a good pitch. Right. And then I was like, oh, well, this works for you know, some of the other communication tools that I have to create in this job. And then I started doing a little bit of kind of like side consulting with some nonprofits around, hey, here's how we can redo your messaging based on this process. And that kind of started to reawaken the, you know, the desire to start my own company. Right. Uh, then I got into uh, a job at Dell where uh, I was working on a go-to-market acceleration team. Uh, Dell was buying startups. So Dell got to this point of, you know, we, we need advanced software capabilities. We don't do a lot of our own R&D. We're just going to go buy these things. Right. Uh, so they bought they bought 23 companies over a three-year period. And uh, I got put in charge of a couple of those to work on their go-to-market acceleration plans and really the, the blueprint of how they thought about product development and how they thought about starting a business was very different from how Dell worked. And you know that's where I got exposed to the lean startup and business model canvases mm -hmm. and agile development and all of these other things that you know, I wished I had 20 years ago. Right. But, okay. This, like, this is where I want to head. Uh, so it reawakened this kind of passion to work with uh, the startup community. Very cool. Very cool. 
And then you left Dell and you said, this is it. I'm taking the big quantum leap into the unknown. Yeah, I, I started, uh, I kind of gave myself a year plan because I basically said, I need to put aside some resources so that I can kind of leave and then start my own company because I knew I'm going to need some time to, to build up uh, clientele. And uh, then I, I got lucky. The, the universe kind of turned my way and Dell went private. And as part of that, they had this uh, voluntary bio program. Very and cool. Anybody that wants to go, we, we, we'll, we'll have a generous package. You just have to put your hand up. And I was like, I'm sure they weren't expecting you to go. <laughs> can I can I take this? Uh, yeah, and it was one of these. I'm like, that's my startup fund. So got me started, you know, much earlier than I had planned. Right. Uh, so I kind of took that and then jumped in. And how, where do you do your business development? Because I I know that you have like a real mix of customers. Yeah. So a lot of it uh, a lot of it comes in through referral. You know, my channels to market tend to be through, you know, LinkedIn is one of the places that I spend some time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I tend to go to startup networking events yeah. uh, and startup conferences. One of the things that I found, you know, kind of works is anytime I get a chance to speak, that creates authority, you know, and I usually get some people asking more about how I do things at that point. I end up getting pulled into some startup competitions, sometimes to, you know, as a judge, to judge startup pitches. Uh, so that kind of gets gets my name out there. I've done some podcasts and some other other things like that, uh, and I'm always experimenting. You right. know, I'm always testing different you know, different ways for my own business to go to market. Uh, some of which work and some of which don't work. You know, but that's know. that's the process. I do the same thing here at BACD. There's many things we start and stop because, you know, they start out great and they fizzle out or, you know, it didn't work out the way I expected it to work out. And I'm not afraid to try and then move on to the next thing and keep it fresh, keep it interesting, you know, keep trying to provide services that entrepreneurs would want, right? And I think you're, you're doing exactly the same thing, just perhaps to a different market to some degree, right? for you what's on your reading list for business so a couple things one uh, one book I can highly recommend is called traction yeah so traction like yeah it's uh, from Gabriel Weinberg and it's it's interesting because uh, you know I think my brain likes processes yeah in some fashions I'm, I'm a Gemini so I can take I can have two opposing thoughts in my mind at the same time on one hand, I'm allergic to process. If there's too much process, I'm just like, no, I need to do things my own way. But some processes are good. And he has this thing called the bullseye process. Yes. Where, yeah, and it's just a simple way of thinking about how do you figure out what channel to go to market with? And it's thinking which channels are even possible? Which channels could I reach my customers through? You know, then which ones are most likely probable? using some criteria like, uh, is it cost effective? Do my customers trust the channel? Uh, do I have the capability and expertise to use the channel? Do I have the resources to even act, use that channel? You know, that might mean, mean it'll, it'll be a probable channel to reach customers. Right. But then I have to run an experiment to test if that channel works. 
and I may have to run a few to figure out how to use that channel. If it does work and it, it's cost effective, yeah, then that becomes what we call a bullseye channel. And then that is uh, one path to market. I like it. I like the book Traction. I found it very useful, particularly the business that's trying to break through to that next level. Um, the biggest challenge our clients have is moving from that, you know, I've got one or two staff members to the next level, breaking through to the $1 million mark, I think. That's yeah. what they struggle. They struggle with their processes, their business. They struggle with formalizing it and having, because they're so working in the business that they actually don't have time to formalize any of those processes and build a, a business plan. And, and I can emphasize with that because, you know, my business is, uh, it started as a single person business. Yes. I now have, uh, you know, some subcontractors and staff that work with me, but that is something that, you know, I struggle with myself, which is how do I turn something that is something that I've done and you know, build enough process around it that I can teach someone else to do it Yeah. and then repeat that. The one thing I will say about my own business, it's, it's, a, it's a personal services business. Those are the hardest to scale. They uh, are. Yeah. So for me, it's, it started as a passion project. If I were to redo it, I'd probably start to look at something that was more scalable. Okay. Uh, and I'm still looking at the ways of, hey, how do I take what I do and turn it into something I can scale? Yeah. I can give you some ideas. I'll be happy one to One of the thoughts that. I really have is you need to be speaking more and workshops and then uh, selling online workshops and coaching because I think there's an opportunity for people to get to, to get their message. Like I think you, your story blueprint could be something that's a blueprint course that you run that people fill out their own blueprint. You walk them through the steps of doing it. The traction blueprint, I think that could be a course on its own as well. Um, sales coaching, you could put together a really good program on sales and even pitch coaching. I think those are really what people are looking for to grow their business. Yeah, and so these are on the roadmap of, awesome. uh, of things that I'm going to do. I have that, uh, you, know, you and you've probably seen this a number of times, the, you know, it's the entrepreneur who's working too much in their business and not yes. enough on their business. Uh, you know what, I sometimes think of myself as an entrepreneur. I have a team, luckily, of four people, but I'm also, my problem I have is I'm working in the business. I'm seeing clients, I'm booking the events and the partnerships and all this sort of stuff. And I don't often get a chance to really just work on the business and think about working smart. And then how do we scale the business and our revenue? We are a not-for-profit, but our funding keeps getting cut. So we still have to be able to generate money somehow. And I think you know, those are the things I need to work on. So sometimes it would help to have a group of people you can work with. So you mentioned Traction is a good book. Any other books that you really love? Because I know that you're a great book reader and, um, you know, there's a lot of insights you could share with us there. Yeah, and I would say this year, I haven't added, added any new books to my business book list. You know, it's been a very busy year. Uh, you know, some of my older favorites are like Start With Why, which is... Uh, Simon Sinek. Uh, Simon Sinek, it's a classic. Uh, Why Things Go Viral. Um, yeah. uh, Hooked, uh, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Yeah, these are ones that have kind of been on my list for a while. Yeah, honestly, the rest of my reading this year has been more relaxing reading, and I read Star Trek books. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I also think we need to 
like as an entrepreneur, anybody really, you need to leave time for your brain to be creative and create some space. Our world is so busy that our minds are, we're literally like rats on a wheel, right? So needing to really slow down is so important. Smell the roses, as they say. I have a question for you. Do you have any favorite productivity sites or tools or apps that you use for your business? Yeah, one of my favorites is, uh, is a site called Teamwork. Teamwork. Okay. So Teamwork is a project management site. And I got to a point where, you know, again, I was running uh, so many projects that the Excel sheet I had built for myself to manage it was no longer effective. Right. Uh, so I started looking into different project management tools. Uh, I had, you know, considered Microsoft Project because I came out of a Microsoft world. And that was, you know, that was not really user-friendly enough. Teamwork, I found, you know, I compared Basecamp and Asana and a couple of other things. Uh, teamwork is, you know, it's a cloud-based tool. It's professional enough that it has things like Gantt charts and, and more professional project management things. Right. But it also has kind of that Trello style board view that you can build into it. Yeah. Um, you can bring in collaborators in from, from other companies. Yeah, you can share files in it. You can chat with it. It's probably, it's, it's one of my favorite productivity tools. Yes. Yeah, so this, when was it this year? I think, or even at the end of last year, we brought in uh, Trello. And so we use the business class edition that kind of integrates with everything. And we just love it because for us, we are running so many processes at the same time. You know, our customer coming in is one process. Registering for an event is one process. And you're right. If you can figure out how to do that, and especially when you have a team, right? And we're not always all together. So being able to put things on those kinds of software apps or systems that you use is a great way to like really create efficiencies and productivity and so that people can get on with the things that they need to get on. Right. So yeah. I love, I love those ideas for sure. That's really good. What do you love most about what you do? I think I love helping. Like I love seeing the, the moment where, you know, we come back to the, the client with, you know, we usually come back with a couple of concepts and usually there's a concept where, you know, they go, they just go, I get it. Yeah. You know, you've taken everything that I've said to you and now it just, it just makes sense. Yeah. And it's working and it's effective. Um, it. Probably one of my, my favorite local stories is a company called Canafem. Yeah. Uh, Canafem does first aid, first aid training for small businesses in our region. Yes. He's and, a client of ours. Uh, so they were, you know, they became a client of ours after they were a client of yours. Yeah. And, they so we spent time working with them on, on their process. And what they do is like, they're, they're just so unique in terms of how they go about their training. And they kind of said, yeah, we, we go in, we look at a business, we custom build a bit of a game plan for them. And then we, we do scenarios based on their, you know, the way they do their, their business operates. So, you know, then we do these mock emergencies and we build first aid kits and we build a plan for this, a plan for that. And, after synthesizing everything they said, you know, I kind of came back to them, this, to them with this idea of, you know, why don't you brand what you do, uh, the emergency, you know, an emergency game plan. And it ended up becoming uh, their tagline, which is, or one of their taglines, which is emergency first aid game plan. Yeah. And talked to them uh, a couple months after that. And they said, we're doing calls to businesses and we're getting a, a we're booking a 70% meeting rate. 
Yeah. And I said, 17%, that's amazing. And they said, no, 70. <laughs> because even 17% is pretty good, right? <laughs> 17% is amazing. 70% is unheard of. And it's just because they get on the phone and they say, hey, do you have an emergency first aid game plan? And again, it's one of those, like, that's the novelty. That's the uniqueness yeah. where people go, well, no, tell me more about that. Yeah, and that's exactly what, what businesses need to stand in. So true. Um, I, I often use Canafem as a success story as well, because the day I met him, he was like, yeah, I want to be a $5 million business. So there was a very different mindset and game plan for someone who wants to build a $5 million business. One of the things I really like that he's gone ahead to build is an app that helps businesses also manage their who's coming up for renewal on their CPR and first aid. Have you checked your first aid kit every month? Are, you know, all the supplies, everything that you need, the defibrillator, keeping everything up to date, which I, is I thought they really turned that around and made it scalable to some degree, right? I believe he has like six or seven full-time staff now and then also 10 to 20 different instructors that are teaching. He's, he's teaching in the US, they're teaching in Europe. So they're getting around everywhere and I mean, it's great. I mean, he really lives it. He was a paramedic for however many years and, and you know, has able to be, to turn this around. So, and I know you've helped him unleash his story, which is really important. Yeah. So for me hearing kind of the, that they're doing well afterwards also makes me feel good. So that's the part that I love. Yes, I agree. I mean, you work so much with entrepreneurs and small businesses. Do you think from what you see that there's a formula for them to be successful? In some aspects, yes. Like there are certain things that have to be in place. Like you have to have, there has to be a customer need and demand. You know, there has to be a problem that has to be solved. You have to have a, a way of solving that problem. Uh, you have to figure out a way of generating value from solving that problem. And you have to have a cost to acquire that customer that's less than the, the value you're extracting from that customer. So in that sense, there is a formula. Uh, but in the right. other sense, it's all about the person. Yeah. yeah. Because you, you could take that formula and give it to one person and they do X with it. And you give that formula to someone else and they'll turn it into 50 X. Yeah. yeah. So it really comes down to, you know, someone's personal motivation and their drive and their ability to execute. Very, very true. Very true. But of course, I, I hear you. Like in order to have a business that's going to be successful, the business concept needs to be attractive. It needs to be something that people want to buy. And so that's what you're doing. You're creating a story that is valuable that someone wants to buy. And I mean, that's very powerful. And I know you, I mean, you've done a number of workshops for us. I think you're going to be doing one again during the Do It in Durham week, which is coming up in November. So, um, you know, look out for one of those, one of those workshops. Uh, Kevin's workshops are always really well attended. I think mostly sold out. Um, it's free, but it's sold out during that week. But, uh, you know, if you ever get a chance to listen to Kevin, I think it's really, really worthwhile for sure. Another question for you. What key activities do you recommend that entrepreneurs actually invest in? So if I kind of look at my own experience, uh, time yeah. management is okay. uh, yeah, probably, the, probably the hardest thing to go from, let's say, being an employee to being your own boss. Yes. Uh, and I would say it probably took a good year and a half to get a good flow for myself. 
so I spend you know time weekly looking at what my schedule for the next week is going to be like. I block out time you know based on uh, the projects that I have based on what my priorities are, and I look at that you know I look at that daily to make sure that uh, I'm committing to a certain amount of time and getting the, the the work done that needs to get done, and that I'm kind of pushing myself. It's a shift in mindset when you're in a in an office place. You're for the most part you're kind of told these are working hours. This is when you do things. This is, this is these are the meetings you go to. Very true. When you're your own boss, you know, you have to do all of those things. Yes, you. I mean, you have it. Like it's really up to you. At the end of the day, you can decide how many hours you work and how much money you make. Mm-hmm. Really your decision. So uh, one more question, or maybe a couple more. What do you see are the coming trends for your area in business? Uh, so in my area of business for marketing, there's been a, a higher trend for uh, a more kind of measurement and metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the marketing programs have you know, some kind of online measurement tool. Right. Uh, you know, the other trend, which is, probably a trend over the last few years now is this concept called growth hacking. Right. So marketers are no longer calling themselves marketers. Uh, If you're looking for a marketer, you may see people calling themselves uh, growth hackers or growth engineers or growth architects. Who knows? I may change my company name to to follow suit with that. No, Uh, don't. Revenue (laughs) officer. Yeah. Everyone's coming up with like uh, different titles. Right. Really what's happening is, people are starting to understand that the marketing person really should be an architect of the business itself. Right. And they have to really do more and more experiments to figure out what is the most optimal way of getting to market. Yes. That's really what that's really growth hacking is. It's just figuring out what experiments to run and then running them and then using the data to validate the, the decisions going forward. I, what I see is that market is becoming truly technologically advanced and it's also becoming really complex because the consumer is so complex and so knowledgeable today, right? So, but we have to become really sophisticated in the way that we market ourselves and the way that we're working, like as, as you know, as people. Yeah, and there's, there's a bit of a gulf right now between some of the capabilities that bigger organizations have versus uh, what smaller organizations can do. Yeah. You know, so bigger companies have quite a lot of resources to apply to building a technology stack around marketing where they can use all of the data that's collected about you to automatically place um, advertisements in front of you at the creepiest of times. Like when you're sitting there thinking of, hey, I might need to get a power drill and all of a sudden you're seeing power drill messages on your phone, it kind of makes you shake your head. Yeah, smaller businesses have a harder time competing with that level of technology. Very true. Uh, yeah, so smaller businesses need to be you know, very smart and nimble when it comes to, to trying to market to their customers and competing with bigger companies. Right. Yeah, very true. And you help them with that. So just to wrap up our interview, Kevin is obviously on our expert network and uh, he helps companies with these kinds of services. I would say that so many of our clients and businesses as a whole really need to tighten up this whole story and traction blueprint because that's what makes the difference. When that story is succinct and there's something there that makes people buy or say, tell me more, this is what Kevin does. He helps businesses and startups 
I, I know for sure you've helped lots of startups with their pitch and how to say it, how to, how to present it, how to, how to package the whole story. So uh, in our show notes today, I will link to the books that uh, Kevin has mentioned. And I will also link to um, his website, his con and how to get hold of him because he'd be happy to talk to you. So Kevin, thank you so much for your time. One last question. What is your superpower? Uh, so my, I have, I have many superpowers. Good. Uh, but I like to say that one of my superpowers is doing the tech to human translation. Beautiful. Yeah, I like that. That's important because we get sometimes lost in our technology and forget the humans, right? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time today. I look forward to uh, seeing you again at one of our net workshops. Thank you for, uh, for having me today. And your organization does such great work in our region that uh, you know, I'm happy to help. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest today on our podcast. This is Teresa Shaver signing off from the Business Advisory Center Durham, and we hope that you will join us next week. Take care, guys. Bye.